Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, I might get canceled for this, but today on the Everything 80s podcast, why Spaceballs is better than Star Wars. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. How soon? Sir. What? We've identified their location. Where? It's the moon of Vega. Good work. Set a course and prepare for our arrival. When? 1900 hours, sir. By high noon tomorrow, they will be our prisoners. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today and looking at this giant topic of whether Spaceballs is better than Star Wars. I'm going to do a breakdown of the movie and, you know, behind the scenes things and everything like that. And then some specific reasons why I think it may be better. And hopefully I can explain my point as we go. But before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. And if you're not a part of Patreon, I've just released a new 1980s movie review, which is very relevant with what's going on in the financial world right now. So if you want to see this bonus content and a way to support the show for as little as like a few bucks a month, you can head to patreon.com slash 80s and check that all out. So I haven't watched Spaceballs in years, but not long after the movie first came out, I probably watched it at least once a week for like two straight years. I don't know. It's just one of those movies that hit a kid like me at the perfect time when it came out. It it just, it totally appealed to my sensibilities and sense of humor. And I think a lot of that is the work of Rick Moranis and he had a real impact on me. I remember one time having to do quick side story, having to do a class presentation on a book report and I re- recreated his action figure scene to act out the plot of the book. That's how much of an impact this movie had on me. And as much as a fan as I am of Star Wars, I'm just, I'm trying to say here, Spaceballs possibly surpasses it. So, but keep in mind, I'm referring to episode four, A New Hope, and not The Empire Strikes Back and The Return of the Jedi, and which are untouchable movies in my opinion. But when it comes to the prequels and some of the latest offerings we've got, Spaceballs definitely blows them away. So let's look first at the plot of the movie. In case it's been a while since you've seen it, or for some reason you don't know what I'm talking about, here's what's happening. On the planet of Spaceball, they are starting to run short of breathable air. We meet the evil President Scroob, who is a moron, but will do whatever he can to get oxygen back to his planet. This involves him... um, 
sort of convincing the king of a nearby planet called Planet Dridia to take their heir after he kidnaps his daughter, Princess Vespa. The plan is to be carried out by Dark Helmet and his co-captain, Colonel Sanders, with a Z or a Z. Because they are able to get to, uh, sorry, before they are able to get to Dridia and kidnap the princess, she has already made a break for it with her robot companion, Dot Matrix. The king of Dridia contacts Lone Star to help get her back. Lone Star accepts because he needs the money to pay off the evil gangster, Pizza the Hut. Lone Star and his dog-like companion, Varf, are able to get Vespa but crash land on the desert moon of the planet Vega. They try to make their way across the desert, but eventually pass out due to the hot sun, only to be rescued by the band of the tiny dinks. They are taken to a cave where they meet the mythical yogurt. Yogurt introduces them to the power of the Schwartz and also the importance of merchandising movie tie-ins. Helmet and Sanders are able to track down their assailants by watching a VHS copy of their own movie. The Spaceballs capture everyone, and the giant ship is turned into Mega Maid, who will vacuum the air out of Druidia. Lone Star is able to use the Schwartz to reverse the vacuum. He then battles Dark Helmet, and the entire structure explodes. We eventually find out that Lone Star is an actual prince, and he and Vespa get married. So I mentioned some of the characters. Look at the cast here now as a truly iconic bunch that appeared in this movie. So Mel Brooks, the classic comedian, plays President Scroob, and he also plays Yogurt. So Brooks didn't specifically want to do double duty in this movie, and playing Yogurt would cause him a lot of problems. The first big one was the gold paint that he had to wear uh, caused him to experience some pretty severe rashes. The other was that he had to spend a lot of time on his knees to portray Yogurt's short stature. Bill Pullman played Lone Star, the Han Solo type character. Brooks was looking for an actor like Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks, but he went with Pullman after seeing him in a play. And also for the fact that Bill Pullman had never seen a Star Wars movie. So he was able to provide his own take on the character instead of doing like a Harrison Ford ripoff. Not that that would have been bad. Barf was their version of Chewbacca, played by the great John Candy. And Candy had to go through a lot of his own discomfort during the shoot due to the hindrance of the Barf costume he had to wear. So Barf is a mog, half man, half dog. And he was supposed to originally wear a bulldog type mask. But Brooks wanted to make sure the audience saw that it was John Candy. So that's why they changed sort of the appearance of it. The costume, though was pretty technical and required three people to operate it. Candy also had to wear a 30-pound battery strapped to his back for the controls. So the fun fact, the scene in the diner when the, the with the waitress and Barf's tail was done by Candy actually controlling the tail with a little remote control that he had kept in his hand. It's kind of hard to tell, but you can sort of see that he's doing that all. So uh, Daphne Zuniga played the Princess Leia ripoff Princess Vespa. So she had hesitation at first to play the part as she actually wasn't a fan of Mel Brooks's movies, which seems sort of unforgivable. She didn't particularly like his style of humor, but then became more fond of him as the shooting went on. Rick Moranis played Darth Vader... Uh, clone Dark Helmet. Moranis was the one who came up with the idea that Dark Helmet should talk with this deeper James Earl, you know, real Darth Vader voice when his helmet was down. And then when it went up, he'd go into this high-pitched whiny voice, which is a hilarious take. 
And then also the great Joan Rivers provides the voice of C3PO counterpart dot matrix. Okay, so here's a few fun facts before we get into the Star Wars comparison. So the movie did okay in theaters, bringing in around 38 million, and it opened at number two behind Dragnet. John Hurt reprised his role of Gilbert Kane from Alien, but thought he was just doing a quick appearance. He thought he was just walking in, basically like waving to the camera. He didn't know he was going to be recreating the entire death scene, but was good enough to go with it. Spaceballs was shot on the same set as The Wizard of Oz, and in an article in the LA Times from 1986, the crew would often find pieces of the yellow brick road just when wandering around killing time between scenes. Pizza the Hut was voiced by Dom DeLuise, but the guy who wore the suit refused to come back when reshoots were needed. So they were sort of stuck with all the footage they had. If you've seen, if you've seen the movie, like the Pizza the Hut costume is ridiculous. So I can understand why no one would want to do that again. So the movie, you know, like did sort of okay at the box office, but found a massive audience on home video, which is where I would first discover it. It just, it didn't spend a lot of time in theaters and just didn't, for whatever reason, didn't catch on fully as anything like a blockbuster. So now let's look at a few of the specific points why I believe Spaceballs is better than Star Wars. So the first one is the special effects are quite a bit better than A New Hope. And this is due to a few different reasons. The first is obviously the technology had advanced quite a bit since the ending of the original Star Wars trilogy. But the thing is, Spaceballs had a pretty large budget for a comedy film at around $22.7 million. That's upwards of $50 million converted for today. So that's a ton for a comedy, but it was required because it's a science fiction comedy. But Actually, in fact, in all of 1986, this was the most expensive movie of the entire year. It was because Brooks wanted to make this a true parody of space films, but keeping the integrity of the special effects was the only way to do a proper parody and then make it great. Brooks always said that you have to love what you spoof, and that means staying as true to the original as possible. So he accomplished this, accomplished this with movies like Blazing Saddles, um, you know, with that Western style trope and also young Frankenstein. But that's the thing to do Spaceballs the right way. It had to look the part. He believed that's what true parody was, almost a mirror image. And that meant having to get the special effects up to par, if not better. So you probably didn't know this, but Spaceballs looks so good because they actually used industrial light and magic to create the special effects shots. And as a kid, I always thought that the ships in Spaceballs looked like they were right out of Star Wars, and that's because they were. The models used to recreate the Spaceball ships were created by another Star Wars alumni, Grant McCune. And McCune made the spaceship models for all the Star Wars movies, and even some of the Star Trek ones too. He's uh, important in the history of movies because he also helped design uh, Bruce the Shark from Jaws. So the next reason why I think... Spaceballs is as good or better than Star Wars is because it's just as cartoony as as Star Wars is. So like I have I obviously love A New Hope. We all do. And we don't have time to get into how important this is as a film, but you already know the reasons why Star Wars is so monumental. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But the big thing to remember is that Lucas made the original Star Wars with a younger audience in mind. And it's very apparent when you watch it. I'm not sure the last time you watched A New Hope, but when you look back at it as an adult, there's a bit of a different experience with it. The main thing that draws you in, of course, is the nostalgia factor and the memories it keeps giving you of being a kid and being blown away by the space opera. I think the first time everyone saw Star Wars, no matter whether it was in 1977 when it came out, five years later, 10 years ago, it's it's just like impacts you in your head. And then every time you watch it after that, you're sort of reminded of the first time you saw it. But a lot of the movie still doesn't hold up that well today. There are a few points where you feel like you're watching a student film. Like it's it, it was a low budget movie. It was, you know, it had a lot behind it, but this kind of movie had never really been done before. So a lot of it does hold up now. And of course you've probably seen the like um, enhanced versions and Lucas has added in all this, the extra effects and the improved sound. But if you were to watch the original cut and there's a few of these like floating around, I forget the websites that do it, but there's, there's a few sort of organizations that have been, really pushing the idea of the despecialized original Star Wars because most people have never really seen what Star Wars is. We've only seen it as George Lucas has recreated and added in those new scenes and the new CGI and everything. And I think a lot of people would be kind of amazed to see how different Star Wars was to what you see, like like taking the very first theatrical release. And so some of that, um, you know, not that there's anything bad in it but it's just sometimes it comes across like a little bit more of a low budget movie and and the acting is not exactly epic and a lot of the dialogue comes across as really corny and and sometimes eye-rolling and Lucas is noted as wanting his actors to rush through the dialogue and wasn't that concerned with their performances as his attention was more on the action and the sets and the special effects And Lucas is noted as always using the direction of faster and more intense with the line readings um, during all the Star Wars movies, especially in New Hope. The problem with this is it gives it that cartoon likeness to it. And with Spaceballs, there's nothing that's hiding the fact that it itself is basically a live action cartoon. They don't have to try to be serious with the sort of absurd line readings and performances because that's what they're trying to do. The thing that makes Star Wars as a franchise grow is the movement away from the original and then into The Empire Strikes Back. That if they had done a rehash uh, of this with the second film with what The Empire Strikes Back would become, like if they just did a straight remake of Star Wars because it was so successful, it would have made sense to do that. I, d- I don't know if the trilogy would have kept going. It, it probably would, but maybe not on the scale because with The Empire Strikes Back... 
it took a darker and more mature tone. And then that's what really helps cement the trilogy. If they had made three movies that all had the, you know, the same tone and the same structure as a new hope, it's hard to tell if they would have that same impact today. Okay. The next reason why I believe Spaceballs is as good, if not better, is that George Lucas was just as involved with Spaceballs as he was with Star Wars. When Brooks was first getting Spaceballs off the ground, he actually had to get permission from George Lucas. Spaceball is a parody of all space movies. I mean, you know, there's some of 2001 in there. There's Planet of the Apes, a bit of Star Trek, Alien, you know, a lot. But it's primarily Star Wars. So they had to get Lucas to sign off on the idea. Lucas was okay with this, but he had a few sort of qualms. The big thing is that he didn't want any merchandise from Spaceballs released to the public. We'll get to some of that specific plot that was based in the movie in a bit. But for Star Wars, merchandise was really their bread and butter. For every dollar that a Star Wars movie has made over the last 40 years, they have made $2 in merchandise. So with that out of the way, Lucasfilm would not only help create the special effects via Industrial Light and Magic, but they also help with the post-production of the film. Lucas might have been more involved in the movie, but he was making um, his own little what he called funny movie at the time called Howard the Duck. And this would, of course, end up being an absolute train wreck and um, had shows on that and stuff I'll get into another time. But watch Howard the Duck if you can sit through it. But if you ever wonder what Lucas had thought of the movie that was essentially mocking his creation, he apparently loved it. He might not have if they were making, a, uh, if they were to make a parody of all the other movies that kind of came out today or his prequels. But at the time, Star Wars was such a success and it was done in a loving tribute, but on the same scale. And that's why he was involved with everything. The next thing that I think makes Spaceball stand out is what they sort of called intertextuality of Spaceballs. And it's another early example of a movie doing things like being self-referential and breaking the fourth wall. And the idea with it is that they are a part of the movie, but observing it all the same way that the audience is, like the clip I played at the start. And I think that's what makes it even so much more better because it's already this cool special effects space comedy, but it goes um, deeper with this. Like uh, just the fact when... uh, uh, Dark Helmet and Sanders are watching the tape trying to track down like that whole scene is incredible and looking into the camera and stuff like that. And another great part reflecting the self-awareness is the yogurt merchandising scene. So knowing they weren't allowed to put out any products as the products would appear too similar to Star Wars, this scene reflects um just how the Spaceballs brand is being put into everything and it's mocking the approach taken by all big movie studios and their shameless attempts to slap a logo on something as mundane as toilet paper. Mainly, however, it's making reference to the real life situation that involved Brooks having to avoid any merchandising to make George Lucas happy. So he's just showing all these products that could have possibly came out with Spaceballs, the flamethrower and everything like that. The thing is, Lucas should have allowed them and then just taken a big cut of the profits as Spaceballs merchandise would have been a sure winner. At me as a kid, I would have bought everything. To have like that toy Winnebago or the spaceships or anything, I think that would have been a massive hit. So not that George Lucas is hurting for money, but I think they missed the boat on that one there. 
Also originally connecting the movie to its own self-awareness was the original title. Brooks wanted to go with Planet Moron um, for the film, knowing that everything about it was a parody and a farce. He couldn't lock down the title, however, as a movie called Morons from Outer Space had just been released. Brooks did realize it was important to put the word space in the title so audience knew what they were going into. So that's a few points there. Let's look at the whole idea with Spaceballs 2 and the idea of a sequel and all that sort of thing. So the movie it's you know brings awareness to the fact that most movies are made with the intention of a sequel. Their version of this um, would be when they mention Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. So this is a brilliant title as it refers to the desires of the characters in the movie, specifically Lone Star, but also the true intent of every Hollywood movie studio in the pursuit for more profits, and Star Wars being no exception. But a sequel to the original had bounced around quite a bit. Rick Moranis would be the one that showed some interest in getting a possible sequel up and running. In an interview with, uh, this is through Hebe Magazine a long time ago, Moranis said that this idea... Um, that his idea was to call it Spaceballs 3, The Search for Spaceballs 2. Mel Brooks wasn't totally on board with it for some reason, even though he and Moranis met to try and structure the movie. Uh, Brooks's passing on it may be due to the fact he hadn't done a sequel before ever. In the case of Spaceballs, the massive audience it found, it found after its release would have lent itself well to another go-around. When The Force Awakens came out in 2015, Brooks thought that the renewed interest in all things Star Wars might indicate a Spaceball sequel could now work. This time, he wanted to go with his original title, Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. Obviously, nothing came of this, and it might have been due to the fact that's when Rick Moranis had all but retired from acting. He's now popping up again, um, slowly but surely. I don't know if this will ever lead to anything related to space walls. I think this is a property that will always have some interest in it. I don't think they've ever missed the boat. I think they could go in at any time and this thing would work. There was the animated series. I'm not sure if everyone knows about this that came out in 2008. Um, I, I knew of it, but I'd never really seen any. It, it lasted just one season with 13 episodes, uh, even though Brooks, uh, Zaniga, and Joan Rivers lent their voices to it. So I, I think I saw some on YouTube. I don't know if they're still up there. So, I mean, that's sort of interesting follow-up material. Um, so, I mean, I guess it does exist. There's even the Spaceballs book written by the author of Goosebumps, if you're indeed dying for more Spaceballs content. Okay, let's start wrapping up here. It's probably clear that I love Spaceballs. I had a tape copy off of TV, like when it had aired on TV. So it had a lot of censored parts that I didn't even know were censored until I got an actual real VHS copy. And I couldn't believe it. I felt like I was watching a whole new movie. And as I said, I probably watched this movie at least once a week for a couple years. I I know every line and could probably recite the movie backwards. I felt that age-wise, I was right in the wheelhouse for a movie of this sort. Um, I'm not sure how old you are listening to this and if Spaceballs is important to you um, or if you're in the same boat. It, it just, if you're at that right point when these things come out, remember like same thing with the UHF movie, Weird Al Yankovic, which I'll, I'll cover another time. Um, but like, that's the thing. I'm obviously not alone in this because it resonated with so many people too. And it, it's not a, a cult classic by any means, because that means it's sort of underground and not mainstream that like, this is a huge movie. Everyone knows Spaceballs. And 
as long as Star Wars is relevant, which it probably always will be, Spaceballs will still be relevant. You could play this movie 30 years from now and people, even if there's not any more Star Wars content ever made, people will always see the trilogies, all three of them, or they'll see the Mandalorian, you know, whatever exists out there, even if nothing else is created. And with Spaceballs, you immediately know what it is. You know what it's referencing. You know all the sort of inside jokes. You know the themes. You know all of that. So it's always going to be a relevant thing. I think to me, it's it's really the work of the great Rick Moranis that makes this movie connect with me personally and with others so well. I don't know if he and I are both Canadian, so I don't know if that has something to do with it. But I'll finish it off there. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to check this show out. I know there's a ton of podcasts out there, so the fact you listen to this one means a lot. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I should be there, but I will be back soon with a new episode. May the Schwartz be with us all.